Welcome to the Transform Podcast. My name is Andrew Farhat. I have guest AJ Vega in the house. Hello. Well, yes, welcome AJ. <laughs> AJ is our new Director of Outreach and Discipleship at St. John's Renewal, so we're really grateful that God called him here. He's also a great brother in Christ to me, too. Man, he just is speaking into my life like a prophet coming in and all that. So just love it. That's a lot of a lot of pressure for podcasts, especially this topic. Well, you're gonna be the you're gonna be the prophet today. Oh so, boy. Uh, the question that we have to answer today is: Should Christians be involved in social justice reform? So get ready. Uh, we expect um, we expect healthy conversation. We expect healthy disagreement. We are a church family. Sure. We are a, we are reaching a lot of people uh, through our platforms. Yeah. Um, if you have a question after hearing this, or you disagree, we want to encourage you. You can email either one of us, and we want to create a culture where you can uh, talk to the person you need to talk to, yeah. not anonymously, and you just talk, you know. And it's okay. AJ.Vega at SJDenver.org or mine is Pastor.Andrew at SJDenver.org and and I guess I just want to answer the question right off the gate. Yeah. And I want to get going here. For sure. So the answer biblically and historically is yes. Yeah. Okay, so uh, when the uh, Israelites were enslaved to the Egyptians, yeah. the answer was yes for God. I yeah. want to get them out of slavery. I want to get them to their promised land. Right. Uh, those are some biblical examples. Yeah. Uh, God brought back the Israelites out of exile to their mm-hmm. promised land. God had all kinds of laws with the hope that there would be justice legally right. in the kind of the criminal justice system in Israel. Sure. Uh, he said, this is not okay. This is okay. You got to treat people fairly. Right. Um, historically, also in Christianity, um, we see two really great figures that I've talked about before. Is first William Wilberforce, okay. Christian who abolished the slave pra- trade in Great Britain. You know, this is an opportunity where Christians said, hey, our beliefs don't line up with the slave trade, so we're going to be involved here. Or you have Martin Luther King, who uh, is a preacher of the Word of God, of the Gospel, mm-hmm. uh, does, believes in loving your enemies, uh, and used all of that as a Christian preacher to uh, make a huge difference, I think, in our country. Yeah. Um, and so when Christians speak out against abortion. That's an example of saying, hey, this is not right. We should do something better than this. Um, All of that works together from a biblical perspective. And so the answer is yes. But I think our listeners, um, and and there could be a lot of listeners out there, but I think that there are some biblically conservative listeners that would say, well, is there still forms of uh, systemic racism today? Is there really forms of systemic oppression today? Yeah. Uh, we should have a colorblind society where we don't see race, mm. where everyone has an equal shot at everything. Sure. Don't black people have an equal shot at everything? Mm. And I think that's what a lot of my white conservative friends would say. Yeah. And I have all kinds of friends. And, and, and as I speak today, listener, if you're listening, I'm going to ask questions from AJ Vega today that are kind of like the kind of what I hear from the white conservative mind in terms of here are the questions they want to ask you. A lot of them are reasonable people, 
but they need kind of some more concrete examples because they don't think that black people have a bad uh, situation in our country. They think you have a good situation. Yeah. So, go. (laughs) Yeah, very loaded. Um, Yeah, I just want to say thanks for taking it from a biblical context, especially from uh, the book of Exodus, right? The people of Israel um, were facing, like, systemic oppression. by Pharaoh, like he made laws that were against the Israelites. There was racism that was happening there. And so as we continue to look through the scriptures and understand as a Christian, like what does it mean to, to acknowledge that there is a systemic injustice still in our world? It also means like it's a very biblical thing for us to be able to understand, right? So the more that we open our eyes to seeing some of the injustice in scripture, it gives us another view of saying, this is what our world still looks like, right? Continuously over and over. And for Christians, I think so easily, like we jump to the Great Commission really quickly, right? Go and make disciples of all nations, like of all nations, like that alone, the words that Jesus says, he assumes like, this is not a colorblind mission that I'm sending you out on, right? This is all nations, all people, all ethnicities to go and preach and share the word of God, teach them and to baptize them and to be, to know that Jesus is there for us, right? He's, he's for all people and for all nations as well. Um, but we jump to the Great Commission too quickly before we jump to the Great Requirement um, from Micah 6, 8, right? What does the Lord require of us? To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God, right? And so I think we have to be able to hold both of those together as Christians to be able to say, what does the Lord require of us and what is he calling us to be able to do? He's calling all nations, all people into a right loving relationship with him. And there comes a day when Jesus, when he returns, he's going to call all nations back together into a loving relationship. And I think part of that is we have to start with a realization that there is injustice in our world, right? Like if we, if we are being called by Jesus himself to go and do justice, to love mercy and walk humbly, to make disciples of all nations, there's an assumption that that is not happening in our world. And I think for us, like we have to take it into a realization of like the American social justice system, uh, it does not always have it together, right? We have been blessed by having such a great country that we live in where there is freedom of opportunities for things, Um, but that freedom is not all across the board for people, right? I I remember growing up like, and sharing with my friends and even sharing with my wife, who is white, um, and sharing some of the experience that I had. Um, I remember I was at an airport with her and uh, we were waiting for our, our gate to let us go onto the plane. And so I'm walking around and I have this hoodie on Um, because it was cold in the airport as most are and i go into one of those like you know those gift shops that have like the little snacks and things and i'm walking around around with my wife and i'm looking at the snacks and i put my hands in my pocket and i'm walking around with my hands in my pocket for just a little bit and immediately my hands come out and i had to stop and think to myself why did my hands immediately come out of my pocket and it took me back to a time when when i was younger when i was a little kid and i was walking around a target with my mom and my brothers and I put my hands in my pockets and my mom like berated me and she was like don't ever put your hands in your pockets in the store people will think that you're stealing Mm. and I remember having that conversation with my wife and um, because she saw me react so quickly and she was like why did you do that and I was like here's here's the story and she just like her heart just broke for me and she was just like I can't believe your mom had to have that conversation with you right because it's not every day that that white people compared to black people have that conversation with their kids about putting their hands in their pockets because people might think you're stealing, right? So there, there's a perception that there was 
an opportunity for me to steal something compared to someone being white that never had to have that conversation with their kids before, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. I think that's like a really great example of like, there, the way that I'm perceived might be looking yeah. different than what someone else might might view, right? Um, and there are some other examples and stuff that I think you know, growing up as a as a black male in the United States, um, maybe not where I didn't have like certain opportunities, but like definitely different experiences from different from different people um, just growing up. And so, um, yeah, I think when we look at the injustice that happens within our country, like there are a lot of different statistics and things that come up, um, like. Um, there's a resource that I want to share with you guys. It's from the Society for Human Resource Management, and it's talking about like biases for black names for organizations. And it talks about this. It says that applicants with white-sounding names were 50% more likely to be contacted for job interviews than for people who had like quote-unquote black names. So like a typical name like like Andrew or Michael or James, right? They were 50% more likely to be hired by somebody or to continue on with a job interview than for someone who had an ethnically different name than being white. Um, mm -hmm. Which in and of itself is a shocking thing because you know, growing up, <clears throat> I think for me personally, like, um, first off, I didn't always go by AJ, fun fact. Um, I went by Aaron, which is like a typically, like, like from the societal norm, like would be a typical white name, right? Yeah. Um, but I also, so I'm not just black, but I'm also Puerto Rican as well, so I'm mixed. Um, and growing up, I grew up in a predominantly um, uh, affluent, white affluent neighborhood um, in the area. Um, lived in on Long Island, so there was a lot of people with a lot of money uh, growing up. Went to a great school system. Um, but, and I think we were talking about this before the podcast too, is we'd have these conversations with other people where people would say, well, you look like this, you look like a different skin color than me, but you act white. Right, and that's a societal norm and an injustice that we see that is culturally not right. Because to say that you look black but you act white automatically assumes that the norm for everybody else should be to look and to act like what white people do, and that is the actual standard for how you should live as an American, right? So your diction, the way you say things, the way you carry yourself, the way you dress, your haircut, all is at the standard of being white compared to other ethnicities as well. And any time that you look differently than the standard, so, means you're, you're so I would So I would ask this question, Yeah. and you help me out here, but sure. were they just saying something that's kind of like, maybe not setting whiteness as the standard, but just sure. kind of like, you know, comedians talk about this all the time. Like, yeah. you know, there's black talk and there's white talk. Sure, you know? yeah. And like, that maybe is more just so social norms or yeah. societal norms. But could it just be that that's all they meant by it? I don't think so because you know further on in my uh, especially my educational history, um, you know people would start calling me Oreo, right? And you're like Oreo, what is that? Like America's favorite cookie? Like what a great name, right? But in reality, what they would say is you're black on the outside, but you're white on the inside. And there's not a statistic like my genes show no whiteness, by the way, right? Um, but it's the way that I carry myself, right? We've created a culture and a system where we automatically assume that the standard for having great diction, talking well, wearing jeans and a polo, right? The way that you dress is what white people do, and that is the standard for how you should look mm -hmm. and how you should dress and how you should yeah. be and how you should act, yeah. right? 
And so like that's a that's a side of injustice that we don't often really get to talk about. Another perfect example is um, more recently it's this changed, but band-aids. Think about band-aids, for example. When you've got a band-aid, was it ever your skin color? Uh you're pretty, you're pretty dark, right? Yes. <laughs> On I'm, the other side of you. Uh, yeah, like the, t- the top of my arm is darker yeah. than the underneath right now. <laughs> you know, it's fair. my summer tan here. I had never had a Band-Aid that was ever my skin color. Okay. Right? It was always the skin color of someone who was white, right? Like, and so okay. these, or, like, like, we have to understand that there's a, there's a regular, like, propensity to lean more towards whiteness as being the standard for the American okay. culture that's interesting. Um, then for black people, right? They've now started doing more different skin colors for band-aids, by the way. So, okay. Yeah. So what you're saying is there's a, there's a pattern. There's, there's a pattern. pattern. Yeah. So if it was just, like if all there was was a band-aid, okay, you probably wouldn't think twice. Right. But you're noticing a pattern mm-hmm. in kind of what you've noticed growing up, right. being a black man in this country. Yeah. And I guess what I would say is this. I think from knowing a lot of my white friends, mm-hmm. they're distant from your experience right and that's why i think it's good for them to just listen sure. right now and just just see what you have to say because yeah. they didn't grow up in the same neighborhood right. as you. um and i think that there's a lot of distance um and I, and I think when we talk about social justice maybe this can help it's like if you saw uh, a bunch of four-year-old blonde-haired blue-eyed white girls getting beat up at wash park every morning right you would probably want to put a stop to it right that's justice right right so the question though that i think my white friends would have is you know are black people really getting beat up every day at wash park is that really what's happening because if they are they'd want to stop it too they just don't they're distant from the what what you're talking about so this is going to be helpful sure so now i also want to say this um if you're listening and you like to get more educated so you're not distant from it all i highly recommend the book under our skin by benjamin watson Mm. he has he was a former nfl player he um is a follower of christ he also has a great social media page great author and very thoughtful and he has spoken at the gospel coalition conferences before as well um and so Rebecca McLaughlin also is a great speaker and writer. She wrote a book called The Secular Creed, and she does a great job, a great chapter on this topic. And, um, you know, one of the, and this might help us so that we don't think it's so distant from us, she uh, documents some things that are happening in Alabama in the 1990s. Is is that right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I could be wrong. It could be 80s or 90s, but nevertheless, both of those decades are not that far removed no. from us. Yeah. Um, but there are uh, black people in Alabama who are uh, not guilty of w- the crime they're being accused of, but they're s- still nevertheless being accused. Mm-hmm. They're being tried by an all-white jury, yep. and some of them are getting the death penalty. Right. Um, it is a mind-blowing movie to watch because you're thinking, oh, this must have taken place in the 1950s or the 1960s. But it's like, no, this was actually not that removed from us. So she's documenting it all. And, you know, uh, my wife, Daisy, is also reading the book um, that... uh, Just Mercy. Just Mercy, Mm -hmm. thank you. 
and it's just uh, extremely eye-opening. Yeah. And so, now, here is what Rebecca McLaughlin says. For those of us who think things are distant in the past, it's a civil rights movement, that happened, we're, we're, we just shouldn't be held that. accountable for it. Sure. Ben Shapiro will say, uh, I'm a white guy in 2023, I shouldn't be held accountable for how a white guy acted in 1960. Sure. Okay, now, here's what Rebecca McLaughlin says. It's very interesting. She says, mm -hmm. when there's a positive historical event that happens in the past, we celebrate the legacy of it and we know that there's a legacy that's been created. So if we won a war or if we gained an independence yep. or something, yeah. we commemorate it, we know that there's a legacy, that there's a ripple effect. Mm -hmm. But she says, but when there's a negative historical event, we want to distance ourselves from it yep. and we think that there's no ripple effect. Mm -hmm. That's not how sin works. Right. Adam and Eve sinned and there was a significant ripple effect. Sure to humanity. So to think that racism in the 60s, just, you know, just because Martin Luther King started preaching some really good, great sermons, yeah. it just all went away. Mm. I think that we have to maybe think about, well, just because some good laws were passed right. doesn't mean racism just erased right. and that everything was cool. Yeah. And then all these people just got really good jobs and they were successful doctors and lawyers and businessmen, just like that, you know, just because some laws got passed sure. and now they're having great families. No, I mean, we could see that there's been a significant impact right. even now mm -hmm. uh, because of those sins. Sure. And so I, ho I hope if you're listening, um, I think we need to think deeper about the distance theology. And I wonder if we do a distance theology because it's safer. If I can be distant from it, then I, I'm safe. Right. But I think we have to say, hey, let, let sin threaten us. Because if sin threatens us, then we can repent of it. Right. If it doesn't threaten us, we're not going to do anything about it. Yeah. yeah, and that's the reality of like a, like a, a sin theology, right? Like of understanding like sin is not just a personal thing that you do or don't do. Like it is taking over everything like it is a systemic issue sin is a systemic issue in and of itself right that never fully goes away right it has been washed clean and redeemed by the blood of jesus and yet at the same time we live in this place where there's still brokenness that still abounds all over the world right and in our country and in our neighborhoods and in our cities as well and it's not just through personal things that happen but it's also like systemically that happens within organizations within companies um and it's filled with people, people who are broken that tend to use stereotypes or tend to use um, the way that we look at each other, the way that we act, the way that we say things as a way to, as power over people rather than under people to be able to serve them in the way that Jesus did as well. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, there's some other great resources. I think especially as you talked about criminal justice and the criminal justice system, that's been such a big debate, especially um, with um, the murder of George Floyd, right, as we talk about that. in. Um, 2020, 2019, um, Breonna Taylor, all these different things that happened with our criminal justice system. Um, that's a whole other conversation that I'm sure we can dive deeper into. Mm -hmm. um, but another really good resource is um, the documentary 13th on Netflix. Um, everybody has Netflix these days. So um, that's a really great document that talks about the history of the criminal justice system and the incarceration of black people. Um, and just like some shocking statistics, mm -hmm. um, especially on the war on drugs in the 1980s leading up to now. Um, yeah. So yeah, another great resource to be able to read. Um, specifically for Christians, if you're reading through the scriptures and you're like, I don't understand how any of this has to do with 
uh, Systemic Injustice um, or Racial Bias. A really great book by Esau McCauley uh, called Reading While Black is a phenomenal resource that I would highly recommend um, to, for people to read because it talks about a biblical interpretation through the lens of African Americans. Um, and so it talks about things like the Exodus, it talks about some of the um, kind of more um, like on the edge kind of verses from Paul, um, just really speaks well. Esau McCauley is a theologian um, that just does a really great job of entering into the scriptures through a black lens yeah. and uh, gives some context into that. So, Yeah, so just to kind of frame things a little bit, Jesus practiced social justice when there was, for example, the woman with the discharge of blood, mm -hmm. she was considered ceremonially unclean. Yeah. So she was an outcast of society because of her condition, which she could do nothing about. Yeah. Jesus broke through that barrier. Mm -hmm. He healed her, he touched her, and um, he restored her to the community. Yeah. So he did something about it, right? Uh, leprosy in the New Testament. Sure. That's an example of another person that's ceremonially unclean, mm -hmm. nothing they can do. Right. Jesus heals them, restores them to the community. Sure. So here's what I think uh, a, my white conservative friends would say about the George Floyd thing. So they would say uh, he deserved, or sorry, not, the police officer rather, that committed the crime deserved what he got. So everybody I know is on, sure. you know, doesn't think that that cop did right. Sure. No one I know. Yeah. Now, what they would say is, though, how do we know he's racist when he used that maneuver on white people, too? Like, it's doc I think it's documented sure. that he used to put his knee in people's necks that were white, too. Sure. Um, and so how can we say it was necessarily racist? Mm -hmm. So we can say it's totally wrong for human beings, yeah. but how do we know he was racist? Yeah. First off, George Floyd died literally said I could not breathe and he refused to listen to him. So, mm -hmm. um, and, and it's not an isolated thing, right? If, if this was a one-time event that happened in American history or even just like in the past like five years, then we can probably make the argument that there was probably like no racial bias. But this is a continuous thing that happens over and over again, not just in one city, but multiple mainstream cities like across the United States. Um, these so what are you're saying is this cases. happens to black people more than we know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. See, and that's what I think we're distant from. Yeah. You know, we don't know. Right. We only know what we see or, you know, what we observe. Yeah. You know, like, even part of my experience, like, learning how to drive, like, there, there were times when I had to learn, like, you know, people... People tend to slow down when there are cops around, right? They don't want to yeah, get Yeah, we all it. do. <laughs> um, <laughs> or you shouldn't be speeding in the first place, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I had to learn, there's a song by Jay-Z, not a Christian song, just FYI, 99 Problems uh, by Jay-Z. Have you ever heard it before? I don't know if you um, have. It's, not, it's not ringing a bell right okay. now. <laughs> Anyways, it's not, it's like got explicit language, but it talks about a time when he gets pulled over and he's talking to... A police officer and that's how I learned like what my rights were as a black man being pulled over by a cop like I had to learn through a rap song about being pulled over and just the way that um, just the way that he frames it in the rap um, you can watch it if you if you want or listen to it um, but I think it's it speaks a lot to like even part of my own experience with driving like whenever I see a cop like like make sure you're always showing your hands like 
being able to speak properly to them, roll down your window, be as polite as possible. Um, and like just being taught the way my attitude should be towards a cop so that I don't end up being shot and killed. Like those conversations were things I had to grow up with and learn just yeah. from driving a car. That might be different conversations that people yeah, who are different colors may be able to have. A that's so interesting because you know, like me, I've never had to have that conversation. Yeah. Because I look the way I do and I haven't had a, a challenge. My question. Hey, St. John's family. This is Shauna, the social media manager. We just wanted to let you know that this podcast will be posted in two separate parts. We'll see you next week with part two. Thanks for listening.